It's a joy to be here. Um, and uh, I bring you greetings from Ironworks in Phoenixville. Um, and uh, they all say hi. <clears throat> um, there's this guy named Mark Chivarella, Mark Chivarella Jr. And he was sentenced to 28 years behind bars. He said he was sorry, but most observers aren't sure that he was sorry for his actions, which landed him in prison, or if he was just sorry that he got caught. Chivarella is a disgraced Pennsylvania judge. Uh, he had been found guilty of conspiring with privately run prisons. What he would do is he would sentence juvenile offenders to maximum sentences for which he would receive bribes and kickbacks, which totaled over $2 million. The longer a child would spend in the private prison, the more profit was generated. So thousands of juveniles were punished and penalized on the altar of corporate greed. In fact, over 5,000 young boys and young girls saw their constitutionally protected rights just shredded by Chivarella. Chivarella's convicting judge, uh, Christopher Connor, wrote in his explanation of judgment this, Chivarella and his co-conspirator, Conahan, abandoned their oath and breached the public trust. Their cruel and despicable actions victimized a vulnerable population of young people many of whom were suffering from devastating emotional issues and mental health concerns. Basically, what this judge did, who was supposed to protect children and uphold justice, did the exact opposite. He harmed innocent children and obfuscated justice. So what happened? The judge went to jail. And... I hope this little story helps us to understand our passage this morning. If you would, please uh, stand with me uh, as we read from the book that we love. You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. You can look at it in your worship guide. Um, I'm not sure if it will be on the screen behind me. So you don't have an excuse. You shall read God's word this morning. All right. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we walk through this text, we'll be looking first at the judges who will be judged. Then we will look at uh, God as absolutely fair. And finally, we will look at God, who is absolutely kind. So the judges will be judged. Unfortunately, this thing with Mark Shivarella is all too commonplace. And we not only see this in secular courts where we might expect to see it, hopefully not, but we know the sinfulness of men. But we also see it in the church. There are countless pastors who have preached a biblical ethic, but were found to be abusive and predatory, harming the very sheep that God has called them to nurture and protect. We've seen it in the Roman Catholic Church. We've seen it in the Southern Baptist Convention. We've seen it in our own Presbyterian Church in America. And really, unfortunately, we have seen it in our own local presbytery. The preacher of God's justice stands condemned because he has done the very things that he has preached against. You see, the judge goes to jail. So how many of you, you can raise your hands, how many of you know someone who might have judged someone and then was caught doing the very same thing that they judged the other person for? You know, you can raise your hand if it's someone else or if it was you, because I know that I I fit into that category as well. And, you know, it's easy for us to look at a judge who preys on innocent kids for his own personal gain or a pastor who uses his spiritual authority to manipulate or abuse his congregants and stand in judgment of them. And say, oh, they are so bad. I would never do that. We judge them and we become the judge. But in our passage here, Paul here is continuing from Romans chapter 1, his prosecution of the human race. And as he is doing this prosecution, it is each of us that are sitting in the seat of the accused. We are the defendants. 
It's very striking, even in the text, Paul changes his pronouns from chapter one, where he uses the third person plural, they, them, those guys, not me, them. But he doesn't let us sit there comfortably. In chapter two, he turns it on its head and he uses the second person singular, you, you, you. You have no excuse. You are the one who is judged. You practice the very same things. Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? No, Paul doesn't allow us the comfort of thinking in terms of they. You know, those other people. He says that you are the ones who are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. Well, why does he do this? I think it's because he wants you to be uncomfortable, to feel the weight and the seriousness of the accusation. You are in the seat of the defendant. You yourselves have judged others. Perhaps you've judged your kids, maybe even this morning when they're trying to get their shoes on and they couldn't find them. <laughs> I know I have done that. Or maybe if you're here and you're a teenager, maybe you've judged your parents. Hmm, yeah. Maybe you've judged your friends. Uh, or maybe you've judged your pastor. Um, or maybe one of your teachers. And maybe you're here and you are judging God himself. How could you, God? Why did you, God? You think you sit in the seat of the judge, but you are sitting in the seat of the defendant. And this brings us to our second point. So the judges will be judged, and God is absolutely fair. Paul says in verse 6 that God will render to each and every person according to their works. For Jews and Greeks alike, God is not partial. He shows no partiality. And what does this mean? Well, it means that God can't be bribed like Judge Mark Chivarella, who took money to convict kids. And it means that God doesn't play favorites. You know, like we do. Uh, how many of you might have said out loud or in your heart um, something like this? Well, you're my friend, so I'm going to overlook that thing that you just did. Or, you know, you aren't exactly like me, so I'm not sure if I should feel safe around you or trust you. Or, you grew up in, in that neighborhood? Hmm, I'm going to keep my distance. We do this in so many ways, but God is not biased. He renders to each and every individual person fairly according to their works. That's what, that's what it says in our text. Listen again to what it says in verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to everyone who's self-seeking and does not obey the truth but obeys on righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Or in verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. 
Or, and then in verse 10, there will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. And then in verse 13, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law that will be justified. So what's Paul trying to say to us? Is Paul saying, Ironworks, if you work hard enough and do good enough, that when you enter the courtroom as the defendant, you can say, hey, I'm a doer of the law. I have done good and expect to be justified. Well, it sure sounds like it. And I guess that's actually what Paul is saying. You know, Paul and James, they feel like they're knocking each other on the head. But Paul actually sounds very much like James here. The doer of the law will be the one who's righteous, not the hearer. It sounds like he's quoting from the book of James. God is fair, and he will give uh, his judgment impartially. That means that everyone who can sit in the chair of the defendant and honestly say to God, listen, I'm good. I have kept the law. My works and my conscience bear witness. I have the law written on my heart. I am innocent of guilt and I am righteous. That person will be justified and will inherit eternal life. That is what this text says. You know, there's only one tiny little problem. And that is that God is absolutely fair. That's what Paul has been arguing the entire time. God is absolutely fair. And so verse 12 says, all who sinned either with the law or without the law will be judged. In verse 16, uh, Paul says that God will judge not on the outward appearance, but as Paul says, there will be a day when he judges everyone's secrets. That means every conflicting thought every evil impulse of your heart, every hidden agenda, every hidden intent of judgment, of lust, of hatred, of bias, of racism, of misogyny, of lawlessness, every bit of covetousness, of malice, of envy, of strife, of deceit or malice, every word of gossip or slander or insolence or pride, Every act of disobedience or foolishness or faithfulness, faith, faithlessness, not faithfulness, um, or heartlessness. Every time you've lied to smooth things over so it wasn't so awkward. Every time you wanted something that didn't belong to you but, long, but belonged to your friend or neighbor. Every time you got mad at your parents yeah, I'm looking at you teenagers. Uh, <clears throat> every time you cheated on an assignment for school or you cheated the time clock at work, God sees and knows every single secret in your heart better than you do. And God is absolutely 100% fair. He is absolutely just. And his judgment will be according to each and every one of your works. And you know, sometimes we just don't like fair. Um, like when you're zooming down 202 
And all of a sudden you see, woo, there's red and blue. Pull you over and listen, you were speeding and you have to pay the ticket. We just don't like fair sometimes. You were speeding. There's a speed limit. The law is you have to go this speed or lower. And if you go above it, you are speeding. Sometimes we just don't like fair. We don't like it when that police officer pulls us over. I know I, I don't. And if there's some kids in here, maybe you don't like it when you don't do your homework. And then your mom and dad says, listen, no screen time today. Or you can't go to your friend's house. Your privileges are taken away. But you know what? That's fair. But sometimes we don't like fair. And that's the problem. God is absolutely fair. And we are those judges who judge other people, but do the very same thing. We are the ones that belong in jail, both you and me, Jew and Gentile. We have all sinned and we will all be judged according to our works. We are more like Judge Mark Shivarella than we are like Jesus. And that's the problem. Jesus put it very succinctly in this way. He said, you know, you just have to be perfect. Just as God, your father, is perfect. That's all. God is fair. He's absolutely just. And you will be judged according to your works. The only problem is you're not good. As much as we'd like to think we are, we're not. And so we're the judge that goes to jail. But that's not the end of the story. This brings us to our last point. God, the judges will be judged. God is absolutely fair, but God is absolutely kind. If we will be judged according to our works, what hope do we have? How can we escape the righteous judgment of God? And while Paul is impassioned here, and he's an impassioned prosecutor for God's justice, he's just as impassioned about God's goodness, his benevolence, his patience, and his kindness. Paul says here that God is kind. You know, if you look at chapter one and you read it, you could very easily come away and say, listen, God is not nice. He's not nice, but he is kind. What's the difference between being nice and being kind? Well, nice is simply overlooking things like, ah, you know, that's fine. Whatever, you know, you sped, you can get away with it. It's fine. Um, You probably didn't mean to say that when you were being a jerk. It's okay. Um, You know, I know you don't really want to be lazy or stubborn or greedy. It's fine. But being kind is different than being nice. And as Paul hints here, and he will later expand throughout the book of Romans in full detail, how God's kindness actually changes people. He actually changes people. It transforms them. In verse 4, it literally says, God's kindness leads you to repentance. That little phrase, is meant to, that's added. God's kindness 
leads you to repentance. Or we could say it this way, God's kindness converts you. How does God's kindness and patience convert us? How does it change us? Well, let's look at the word. It's kreistotes. It's, uh, it's basically uh, defined as this. It's an activity that is useful or benevolent or an expression meaning to help. For example, the expression what is useful is often rendered that which helps people or that which proves good for people. God's kindness is his goodness towards you. God's kindness is his acts which prove good or helpful for you. And kindness just changes people in general. You've heard the, the phrase, pay it forward. Anyone hear that word phrase before? What is it that's being paid forward? This is where you interact with me. <clears throat> What's being paid forward? It's kindness. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a story of this uh, young, young gentleman, Walter Carr. Uh, he's 20 years old, college student. Many of you might you know, vaguely remember what it means, what it's like to be a college student. Um, and so he got a job as a, as a mover. You know, I pick things up and put them down, pick things up and put them down. Uh, he got this job to help pay for his schooling and to maybe get some snacks along the way. And the night before his very first day of work as a mover, his car broke down. Bummer. And Walter was supposed to show up at Jenny Lamy's house at 8.30 in the morning. Unfortunately, Walter couldn't find a ride to her home. So instead, what he did was he decided to walk the 20 miles from his apartment to Jenny Lamy's house. So that means in order to arrive by 8.30 when he was supposed to work, uh, he started his journey from his apartment at midnight. So Walter left his apartment at midnight and began this 20-mile journey to Jenny Lamy's house. Along the way, a police officer stopped him and after talking to Walter, was impressed and ended up giving Walter a ride. And along the way, they stopped for breakfast and, and the police officer bought him breakfast. And then Jenny Lamy, the person who was having Walter come to help her move, um, after hearing what happened, she started a GoFundMe for Walter with the goal of raising a couple thousand dollars to help him get a car so he could drive instead of walk to people's houses. Um, it ended up raising $91,000. Um, and then Carr's new boss, the CEO of Bellhops Moving, was also so impressed by Walter's kindness and was inspired that he ended up giving Walter Carr his 2014 Ford Escape. Kindness begets kindness. Kindness changes people. Paul is impassioned by the kindness of God because it transforms people for their good. It leads them to repentance. So how do the kindness of God and his absolute fairness reconcile with each other. If God is absolutely fair and everyone will be judged according to their works, how can we reconcile the kindness of God and his absolute fairness? 
I think there's an excellent summary uh, found in Paul's letter to his friend Titus. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 4. And it says this, When the kindness of God, there we go, so here we go, the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs to the hope of eternal life so that those who have believed in God will be careful to devote themselves to good works. You know why? Because these things are excellent and profitable, good for people. You see, God's kindness is found in his son, Jesus Christ. He humbly and courageously put on flesh so that his body of flesh could be pierced and nailed to the cross and his body of flesh would experience death. And he did this so that you can know that God loves you and that you do not have to experience the absolute fairness of God's judgment. What happened is that Jesus, the judge, capital J judge, willingly took your place in jail, so to speak, and paid the penalty for your sins. That is where God's kindness and his fairness meet on the cross where Jesus is pouring out his blood and his very life for you. The judge goes to jail so that you can be set free. And um, you guys have community groups here, is that right? I love, we call them home groups at Phoenixville because we're weird. Um, I love my home group. And you know why? I love my home group. It is because I know that the people in my home group care deeply about me. They want what's best for me. They want what is good for me. So that means my friends in my home group, they're kind to me. And that kindness frees me. It frees me to be honest with my friends in my home group about my struggles, my struggles with sin. And instead of having those sins and that guilt being used against me by those people in my home group, you know what they do instead? They pray for me. They encourage me. They help me in my fight against sin. They text me and say, hey, I'm praying for you. And I do the same for them. And this is because We want to be kind to each other. We want our kindness for each other to change us, to become more like Jesus. And God's kindness does the same thing for us. We can be honest and open with God about our sin because he is kind. We don't have to hide. We don't have to 
try and cover up. God already knows. He sees the secrets in our hearts, but he's kind. And so we can freely and openly say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. The power of sin is in its condemnation. And the kindness of God breaks the power of sin because it's already forgiven. And so you, each and every one of you, you can come freely and openly with your guilt and sin and bring it to God. Paul says in verse 16 that on the day according to his gospel, God judges the secrets of humanity through Christ Jesus. But what secrets does a repentant person have? What secrets does someone who's openly shared all of their sin with God? What secrets are there that are left? There are none. There are none. Those things that were done in darkness and hidden corners have been brought to light. There's nothing left to judge. Your flagrant sins and your hidden sins, every sin has been taken away by Christ. That, that is the gospel. That is the good news. God is kind and he is safe and he wants what's best for you. So would you be honest with God and come to him and let his kindness convert you? Let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you. We thank you that you are absolutely 100% just and fair. And we thank you that you are absolutely 100% kind. And that the kindness and the fairness of God are met in the cross of Christ. So that we can come openly with our sins. We can come with those sins that we did in the dark places. And bring them to the light. And we know that you will accept us. And that you will forgive us in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you that you have set us free to be open and honest with the things that we struggle with, with you, God, and with each other here in this place. May you set us free, God. May you forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.